0: Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed
1: Piskor. Going back to the wizard stack, Ed. How does the uh, great James E. Cornette, Cornette put it, Jimmy? How can you miss us if we never go away? It's goddamn right. Wizard's back, but before we dive in, Ed, give us the Red Room update. Red Room, the anti-social Damn. network. There it is, <laughs> Look man. At that. Collection coming out November 9th, man, and uh, it's collecting the entire anti-social network series. And you go through the first couple of pages Jimmy <laughs> just just uh, tons of extra original artwork built into That's this super cool. 70, 70 pages 75 pages of, of extra material we're in the game now we're like if your table of contents doesn't have blood sweat and tears put into it man <laughs> you didn't work hard enough on your comics man so uh, get it while it's hot man it's coming out November 9th pre-orders Uh, Through the Fantagraphics website, you should be getting yours in time for the holidays. But they instructed me, if you don't have a good comic shop in town and you can't get access to it, uh, get it off of Amazon. Amazon bought half the print run, and uh, they're they're holding weight in in the comic, man. So if you don't have a good comic shop in town, (laughs) order it directly from Amazon and boost those numbers. Do you get what this is right here? No, it's a Far Side reference, man. One of the <laughs> one of the most popular, uh, we- like weird off the wall, uh, cartoons from uh, the Far Side. Gimmick, That's man. That's great. So there it is, man. Two hundred eight page book, the best comic I ever made. Uh, on stands November. Crisp.
0: 9th. man, the printing is great in this. Yeah,
1: it's really really tight. Shouts, Beautiful. Shouts to Fantagraphics for hooking it up. That we'll do, is awesome. We'll do a big video about it right before it comes out. What Definitely. You got, Sounds good. Uh, going the other direction, <laughs> get, get your adult <laughs> comics
0: and your young adult comics. Uh, the Plain Janes, my young adult graphic novel Cecil Castellucci, 500 pages of high school artists rebelling against their boring suburbs by doing public art and getting in all kinds of trouble. Uh, perfect for the young adult reader in your life and for this upcoming gift season. I like to call it my shojo manga with these one color uh, volumes printed in one color throughout. But uh, available wherever books are bought and sold. You can also join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see a lot of my original art process, uh, thumbnail scripts, how I make the comics I make from Plain Janes to Street Angel Octobriana, and a lot
1: more at patreon.com slash jimrug. Jimmy, this issue extremely important to me as I was growing up. I, I read and reread this Kubert School uh, article that's in here so many times. And I've never been properly diagnosed, Jim. Uh, but when I, I, I could get excited to the point of not being able to, to to sleep at night and sometimes for nights in a row. And I would read that Qbert school article because even up to this point right now, this is uh, what, what year? 1995? 95. Spring 95. Like for a couple of years, my, my goal was to just get into the cubert school, man. I, I knew that I needed instruction. I wasn't learning fast enough and I wasn't going to be a 19 year old pro like, like chap Yap was man. I needed some instruction. Kubert school was a place I wanted to roll, and I would read this article and just like imagine like being around a bunch of dudes trying to get the same, it's just that, that creative energy, having somebody to actually talk about comics with and I couldn't sleep at night, man. Uh, my entire high school career was all about churning out fresh pages to usurp the last pages I drew to just try to level up to get to be good enough to go there. We'll talk about it when we when we get to that article. Yeah,
0: I mean, cover story here, of course, is J. Scott Campbell's breakout hit, Gen Thirteen. I think this was a surprise hit for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, you know, Image and Jim Lee's corner of Image putting out lots of team books, all kind of the same. Gen Thirteen shows up and it and it connects.
1: Just, you know, just a little little bit of different energy, man.
0: Yeah, right place, right time. I think J. Scott Campbell, a, you know, a, a talented guy who had a little bit of his own style that he was bringing that incorporated cartoon like a cartoon kind of fun Fun. and I think people really uh, responded to that and it was young characters which I think also helped there were still uh, a lot of young readers I was a young reader at this point made sense to me you would barely ever know
1: by like really looking at them (laughs) you know what I'm saying there's there's nothing there's nothing different between this guy right here and Maul, really very true you know
0: this is not a great piece of J Scott Campbell art in my opinion I like him I think his arts really top-notch the best of it but this cover, I don't know, man. Especially, it just
1: feels dashed out.
0: Not very, not dynamic.
1: Yeah, like they had a push to push issue one back a bunch, man, just because they were working on it forever. I, I don't get the impression that he's the fastest guy ever. Uh, this right here, man, this little bit of kiss assery <laughs> by drawing uh, the big cheese himself, Garib Shameless, <laughs> made ma- made me thinking think about how, you know, these comic book people, they knew. Which side of the bread was buttered on, or however that saying goes, man? Because I just watched that uh, HBO Spawn cartoon, and one of the homeless guys, one of the important homeless guys, his name's garab <laughs> and that's not by accident. <laughs> we did previous episodes of Wizard Man where there, where Jim Lee's bringing in garab Shameless to do to do voices for the Wildcats cartoon. Like this little Lord Fauntleroy motherfucker, man, was. Uh, had his hooks in dude no doubt and uh you know worth noting too.
0: like I don't think this is a great particularly great cover <laughs> when they do their centerfold they don't even include
1: half the cover uh, you know to give you an idea of what they're going for in this one yeah it's a it's a hard image because because uh, he's just he, they're all in the same like picture plane or something. Yeah, there's, there's no a perspective. Flatness,
0: yeah, uh, it is funny though the idea of like here are the girls of Gen 13 front and center, and then the dudes are just like get back, you're not on the list. Right. <laughs>
1: that part's pretty accurate, I think, for uh, <laughs>
0: what they were selling.
1: How much sense does this make right here, man? Some gothic vertigo tarot cards by Dave McKean. One of the first things that I thought of. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Being page one of Wizard magazine, on the
0: other hand. It surprises me a lot. Vertigo putting up some money to get this uh, prime real estate in Wizard magazine. I guess it, it it worked for everybody. Like everybody was was sort of aware of Wizard, even if you were not on the Image bandwagon or not on the Valiant
1: train. Vertigo page one, man, that's a lot of money. You see, you see these like weird hack, uh, fly by night publishers who have ads in here as well, man. And they they're totally those people that you would see at the Comic Con that have. You know, $1,000 worth of signage and one little flimsy comic book that sucks ass, man. <laughs>
0: All right, the table of contents, the familiar uh, spread here. You do get a shot of the Kubert School dudes in action there over their, uh, their drawing tables. Always funny seeing, like, uh, artists, comic book artists at
1: work because, like, what are you going to get? It's a bunch of dudes hunched over their drawing tables. I mean, there's energy to that, man. Like, I studied this image so closely when I was a kid, man. I'm like, okay... Uh, actually we're not we're not there we'll see a better spread of that
0: you do get a little bit of Joe Hubert though uh grand pooba there at the front of the line death of Clark Kent because Superman worked so well (laughs) Clone Wars man
1: I got a box copy right behind you man
0: (laughs) nothing in the uh, in the magic words stood out to me this month Mm. kind of the same old same old stuff that you get out of wizard Um, no particular fun comments no pros showing up uh, at least none that I caught Birthquake sounds like a Steve Mazarski invention. Yeah, what a shit name. We're gonna get an article about Birthquake that I'm sure Valiant paid handsomely for.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean like yeah, like you like pay attention people man like you got you got an ad for Birthquake acclaimed Valiant stuff. We're gonna see ads for Gen 13 and guess what? There are articles involved as well.
0: Yeah, this was definitely feels like a pay-to-play uh, from the beginning. Yeah and I feel like we comment on that every pretty much every issue fun to see what these ads are though and what was coming out like Vampirilla and Harris comics I remember seeing those floating around probably even bought a Harris comic or two always loved the envelope art and Lobo once again representing like people forget how popular Lobo was in this uh, in this early to mid 90s time but don't forget man envelope of the month riptide from team Youngblood. you know I'm glad you said that ed because I was looking at it going who is this is this some Bad lady death, like what am I looking at here? Riptide. <laughs> I could be wrong because I mean, I think you're right. That
1: doesn't look like water, but that's who I think she it is. That's very funny, and I don't think they call it out either. It's it's sort you know of like, they, uh, they might uh, not. Nobody know. knows what it is. It's just a scantily clad woman, so uh, that works for the uh, the wizard staff, I think. But what you're getting is like is that like a Todd Knock piece of <laughs> art, man? And it and his name is Exit from New Men. I had no idea that that's what that character's name was. I Ridiculous. thought it was like Portal or something. I like
0: the Max piece. That's a pretty sharp. Pretty sharp piece there.
1: One, one of the other things that we say, man, like I mean, this is a popular magazine, so I'm sure they're getting lots of art that they could kind of like weed out and pick the best pieces. But even in the fan art stuff later on, like there's there's rarely ever a piece I dislike. Yeah, they they uh,
0: it's it's funny to see sort of like fan art up generations. You know, we have like fanzines in the '60s and '70s where it's mimeographed and and pretty tough to do too detailed to work. Then you get to Wizard and it's pretty sharp. And you think of the fan art now that's in the back of Red Room, like. It's, it's incredible. Like These guys would have been hired. They, they'd have been yanking them out of the lines at, at uh, conventions to, to put them on staff. Hottest miniseries of 1994, now the unlimited series. And as you noted, we get a cover, we get an ad, we'll get an article. <laughs> it's, it's a package deal. Marvel's Heroes World purchase leads to industry questions. This is funny because I just read Brian Hibbs talking about like the first week of Marvel shipping with Random House was this week, and apparently the books were just trashed, like really not cared for in terms of, of packing and stuff. Harkens back to man. Heroes this World, is man. this is such a, a big part of this collapse. And you know what's not in this issue? Many of the articles and the people that uh, were interviewed or promoting stuff, they talk about you know bad sales. Like the bubble has burst at this point, but they're not exactly acknowledging it. You don't you don't quite see those columns of like the sky falling, but these are the pieces. If you know what to look for, Marvel buying Heroes World, man, that's the beginning of the end of all the distributors.
1: Yeah, gotta gotta explain to to the lay fan like like what what this is, man. And it and it is a comic distributor. So like, uh, the person who always makes the most money is the person who controls distribution in almost every. Field every business, man. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's what the mafia is about, man. Control it's, the distribution it's perfect network. Because,
0: one, you're not making the thing, so yeah. you've got no money in it on that end. And two, like especially for the direct market, you're getting you're getting pre-orders. So you right. know exactly how many books you're just basically shipping from the publisher to the stores and taking a cut. You have a big footprint and you could warehouse you, stuff. You you talk about like uh this is the this is where the money is. These are railroad barons.
1: Right, you know, right. like
0: like when you think of shipping as being the thing, and that's kind of what these distributors are. So Marvel buys Heroes World, which was like maybe I think the third biggest uh distributor at that time with the plan of, they're just gonna ship all the Marvel, they're gonna just distribute Marvel products and nobody else is going to. Yeah, and, and get, keep
1: 100% of, of, of that nut that you gave to Bud Plant and Steve Jeppe and Capital City and wherever else. Exactly right, and it starts dominoes. So yes. now all these other publishers start making various deals with, uh, with DC dis- distribution exclusivity. DC makes an exclusive deal with Diamond. Capital City is still a huge distributor and there was that moment in time where Image didn't choose who their distributor was going to be man and it could have kept three solid distributors in effect if they would have went with Capital City or if they would have went with Diamond and let Marvel kind of like only be the only have their own distribution like it, there could have been more than one but uh I think it was San Diego Comic-Con where the decision was made and everybody was kind of like waiting you know if the fantagraphics guys were just like twiddling their thumbs like pacing trying to figure out like what the decision was going to be whose image going to go with because that's going to sort of tell the tale of how things are going to shake out in the future man and they ultimately went with uh with diamond uh so that just kills capital city marvel has this heroes world thing which which it becomes a colossal failure. Exactly, that's what I was getting to, man. Like, <laughs> like the the last job I had was at a at a call center, uh, handling handling orders for Marlboro catalogs, dude. And they also did fulfillment. And in that business, if you don't have the infrastructure, and you don't have the people, the manpower and stuff, the money. You know how there's like that net thirty, net sixty, like cash infusion that happens. You still got to like there are certain bills you still have to pay like shipping like this money has you can't get credit for shipping at the post office. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I've seen it. You know, I've seen these fulfillment centers, these distributors just fucking on the balls of their ass because they had no idea the orders that were coming in on credit. You know what I mean? So it's like they don't have money today. You know, how's it go, man? I'll, I'll glad you, gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Hence, you know, <laughs> wimpy. I love it. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say comics talk. Otherwise, it's like uh, one one in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah. Not the comics version. Uh, th- I, That's kind of what happened here. These guys were on the balls of their ass, w- working their asses off. Uh, to try to fulfill these orders, but ask any retailer, any retailers that we, we talk to and shoot interviews, man, we'll, we'll get the scoop, and they all you pretty much unanimously talk about the the headache uh, that Heroes World distribution of Marvel Comics was for them. And this might be, uh, you know, I, I might not get Marvel Comics at Galaxy News, right, you know, 20 paces from the house anymore that might be fully over now I'm not getting a giant eagle now now you got to go to the comic shop I think
0: James Robinson leaving uh, leaving Wildcats here to, to concentrate on Starman opens the door well I don't know about opening but Alan Moore ends up writing some Wildcats there um, Now Robinson guy man he was he was big in the big in the 90s yeah no doubt about it um, Nothing outstanding here to me. Uh, Claremont coming back to a team book with Dwayne Turner. Note the little tiny ad. This is Chris Claremont,
1: writer of the number one book for the past 15 years, and this is the ad space. And uh, Because if you look below it, Sovereign 7 is a trademark of Chris Claremont. That's right. DC ain't getting, DC <laughs> right. ain't getting much off of that, man, so that makes perfect sense. The, what's good about this is it gives you a good barometer for like the time and place, man. We are in the bad girl era, and lightning comics man they're talking about their exclusive nude variants right and how like there's gonna be a Helena cover now these are the guys that we heard about who are like you know what we really care a lot about the medium and the business and industry here's what we're gonna do we're not gonna publish we're not gonna print more than 250,000 copies of (laughs) any first printing and if we go into second prints it's going to be years after two at least two years uh, so uh, I, I i do call high this out. level of optimism on their part <laughs> totally i do call this out though because i really feel like this ruth morrison is fucking full kayfabe where they're just like we need it to be a woman's name spinning the yarn about the value of uh comic book covers with tits and ass on the front
0: Yeah, you turn the page, more of the same. It, it, this is sort of like we're in that bad girl era at this with, point.
1: With photography, right? Like, like there's a, this is a model lady in the in the Rob Liefeld piece is about how he's like got a new. It's not the same chick. Are you sure?
0: Because she I'm was vampirilla sure.
1: before this. Okay, That's what she's coming from. Maybe it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she, so yeah she's turning heel She's she's going from one territory <laughs> to the next, man. Leaving Harris Comics. The and, Hulk Hogan of uh, <laughs> uh booth booth babes. When when you hit number one, you gotta leave the territory. Uh Marvel reduces editorial staff.
0: This is interesting. I saw recently somebody posted like their uh their DC office card from I don't know, late nineties or something, and like nobody is still, you know, on staff yeah. from that time. The turnover on these editorial staffs is uh Something I never really noticed, but I'm hearing more about and seeing. And once you're aware of it, you definitely see whether it's editors jumping back and forth between Marvel DC at this time and now, you know, a few other companies. But this kind of turnover is, uh, it's an interesting part of comic book publishing if you think of, is there any value in the personnel in comic book publishing? And the answer is no, not according to the publishers. Yeah. You know, they have no like, oh, this is a successful editor. We need to, to keep him or her on board because they have a track record.
1: Apparently not. Jimmy, man, like, like Jack Kirby leaving Fantastic Four and being replaced and not losing many sales, uh, if you're an editor and you see that you're in an industry that could let a Karen Berger or a Shelley Bond get, get away, you ain't long for this world, man. It's it's very true, and I think it does uh,
0: relate to that overall idea of like like Alan let, let the talent all go too, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's it's totally opposite of what you look at in a traditional book publisher, where it's like Stephen King, whatever he wants, get him a different editor, a different publicist, whatever he wants. That's what we're doing because we don't
1: want him to leave. Like that like that, that Mi- comics. like that Michael Keaton founder flick, man, uh, about the history of uh, of McDonald's, man. He, like he's not in the hamburger business; he's in the real estate business. The big two are in the the like icon business, yeah, the li- licensing license property, Yeah, licensing business, no doubt. Words and Pictures Museum, Kevin
0: Eastman's uh, museum in Northampton gets a new location, and one of my big regrets is never getting to this place whenever it was open. It sounds cool. My wife went to grad school in Northampton, so like I would go and I would look, you know, like the the building was still there, but the museum had closed by the time I got there, and just like. Man, the shows sound good. You see a Bill Sienkiewicz Electra art on the walls. And we talked to Eastman. You know all the art that he had. Like, these shows would have been great.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, w- I would get the catalogs and stuff. But I was like 13. Like, my, my parents ain't going to take spend, right. spend their hard-earned money and use that the family vacation for that year to go take me to the, <laughs> the Words and Pictures yeah, Museum. Yeah, that's, that's some high-level uh, parent manipulation if you could pull that into a vacation. <laughs> yeah, nah, <laughs> man. You, you might get a Kennywood
0: trip out of the deal. That's it. Wizard Fan Awards, not too much to pull out of that, uh, but it's funny that they were, like, trying stuff, and you can see may- maybe not not quite
1: the hit the Eisners would go on to become. I mean, it's just fanboy stuff. Totally. You know, uh, improved female character. Like, what the fuck? Give me a break. Lapham, Stray Bullets launch. How
0: awesome is that Super to see, cool. man? I was gung-ho for this thing, like, pre-ordering this at the comic book shop and stuff. Very excited by it, and... It turned out better than I expe- hoped for or expected. You know, I mean, think of what Stray Bullets has gone on to do over the years, and Dave Lapham is a cartoonist, and this is sort of his initial foray into self-publishing and doing, uh, you know, doing the comics that he wants to do, writing his own comics. This was turns out to be really big in hindsight. I
1: think absolutely, man, a, a, an extremely important comic to me. Uh, like we did, we did a video way back in the day where we were going through like my, my first thousand shitty pages, man, and. Uh, those many of those pages were drawn like in this exact era this cover is iconic to me because i carried this magazine around with me all the time and and, like i would just reread this thing so much Uh, i put this on my pool list when i was a kid like had like probably the first dozen issues and then uh you know just just life happened and i needed more money and stuff couldn't couldn't keep up but put them together afterward Uh, There's going to be a Palmer's Picks that goes into greater detail in a couple of issues from now Uh, But freaking huge so so important to me I I reread the comic often and we do have a video about the first six or seven issues Uh, I have I have the 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 uber alice edition right on my nightstand Jimmy Whenever you're ready. Just say the word. We'll do the the next batch of issues.
0: Yeah, that's a fun book for me so I was happy to see wizard on top of that one and it makes sense you know they followed valiant around dave lapham getting his roots there in valiant so it kind of makes sense that he'd be on their radar but still happy to see it a reboot ad yeah brendan mccarthy uh you know we're, we're fans of his work and stuff and this is what he's doing at the time so kind of neat to see that pop up in uh wizard pages you know nothing to do with wizard uh just buying an ad there
1: but brandon mccarthy like there's, gonna be, too, there's gonna be a couple two minutes gonna be a full doubt and everything and like i Desperately wanted to see this thing, but it, it never aired in Pittsburgh. Yeah, an
0: early 3D animation, you know, the big the big piece there. Kitchen Sink Press. You know, so this is all your news of the various publishers and what they send in. Black Hole Number 1 by Charles Burns coming out. Shipping in March. Uh, tell of a nightmarish reality where a disease grotesquely disfigures teenagers geared toward you mature reader people. Um, Black Hole, man, that's another one. Think about the run that thing puts together over the decade following this little tiny you know,
1: barely mentioned. It's gonna get its uh, due in, in Palmer's Picks as well. And that that article, that little oasis in the midst of this very poopy magazine, then was one of the most important educations in comics that I got at this time. And I think the- a lot of us, Tom Palmer Jr. Once again, many thank yous. (laughs) That's goddamn right, man. Think how many books he sold over the years. You know, even like legacy people that found indie comics. I probably would have left comics if I didn't find indie comics. I think I might have too, actually, man. Especially like this era and some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in this issue. It wasn't speaking to me in any real way. I was buying this magazine kind of through an inertia or something, and for the promise of some of the nuggets, like the Kubert School article and, and things like this. All right,
0: so here's our first feature article, and it is on Gen 13. Uh, J. Scott Campbell and Brandon Choi talking about their plans for the ongoing series. You mentioned earlier that it had been delayed a lot. Uh, they they addressed some of that stuff, the pressures that they're feeling to make this comic good. Jim Lee
1: has stepped back from uh, his involvement. He said he said uh, they call me number one because I'm the number one fan. And I was thinking like maybe they call you number one because you signed the checks. Motherfucker. I think that could have something to do with it. <laughs> But uh, gearing up for the, you know this big
0: launch, and it's not mentioned anywhere in this issue. At least I didn't. I overlooked it. If it is, but I think this ongoing series launched with thirteen variant covers.
1: We're gonna like that could be some kind of like afterthought that they didn't have in mind at this moment. You know what I'm saying, man? But th- it'll get its coverage. You'll see little thumbnails of every cover. Maybe it might even be the next issue. Pretty fun stuff though. Um, again, just kind of you know J. Scott Campbell, very young guy at
0: this time. I enjoy that kind of enthusiasm. Like he comes in creates essentially a really successful team, gets to launch it into an ongoing series that he's sort of involved in planning storylines and
1: stuff. It's great. It's very, uh, very fun. By issue three of the mini series, and for those playing at home, that is the one that introdu- that has Pitt versus Gen 13. You just watch his art level up page after page after page in that book. So that to me was the draw of like, I'm watching this dude level up every, every page. He's getting syncopated with Alex Garner, Anchor and the coloring is starting to make sense over top of it like it's almost like he's Figuring out how to like do good artwork. That's complementary to to the coloring Uh, By by issue four when they're finished We're all like well give me some more of that man because it finally gelled into what it is man It was like a hacky Wildstorm Studios, you know, Gilbert Jim Lee book at the beginning And then he found his footing at the very end. You gotta bring it back and and let us see some stuff. And all this teaser work, uh, was exciting, man. You just, just seeing a little bit, a nugget of personality (laughs) in the characters of a wild storm book was enough to sell you on it. He would also do this thing a lot with these characters. He, he would uh, sometimes draw their heads real big, make their bodies kind of small. Uh just a That's weird. probably that like thing. how do you draw a young person? You yeah. know, like like none of us can do like a kid or <laughs> somebody that isn't eleven
0: and a half heads tall. Yeah. All right, school's in. The Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art. I've never been to this school, but I did get their application package. You know, I think it's that orange and white catalog that, yeah. that uh that, that you've pulled out before, Ed um man that sign looks neat this was definitely the ad that I would see in a million comments so
1: uh, so like when you get to the school right and, and I should have knew I should have knew as soon as I got there then this sign is as big as our board like it might be smaller than, than our board so so it's like that was a disappointment where it's like fuck like they really like uh, know how to take a good photo you know and uh sort of my, my nephew we
0: we took him fishing this weekend and he caught a decent sized fish but we did the photo thing and it was like hold your
1: arms out it's <laughs> the same move as the sign yeah totally some <laughs> some depth of field exactly. stuff exactly and we'll see a bigger image of of the school and the the way that the school like you see this huge giant hulking building and there's like maybe four rooms that are used and there are rooms upstairs that are in the winter literally lakes of water because Joe never like paid to to get the roof fixed or anything like that man so like just waters leaking in over your head and shit
0: I believe it I can barely keep a house together let alone a building that size I like what they do with the design here having sorta of like the chalkboard font for your subtitles yeah it's kinda of, kinda of a fun little Steve
1: Lieberman Pittsburgh zone we claim him yes uh, is is the guy setting things off like this was important for me to see cuz even at this time I was going to the Pittsburgh comic-con and The thing that I would have to look forward to year after year, uh, and I don't even think he—I always remind him, but I don't—he doesn't remember me as a kid or anything. I don't think, Uh, but I would go to Steve Lieber because he would be super gracious, take a lot of time with me, and walk me through all the sticking points of my pages. Like I would come with like tracing paper taped over top, and then he would draw over top and tell me about tangents and like I had none of this knowledge, zero. He was my only school of cartooning for my entire high school and middle school life. And it was for maybe a half hour, one time a year. You know what I'm saying? He would write, like, I would follow him around online
0: mm-hmm. and, and, you know, putting tracing paper on your drawing and marking it up makes me think like, that's
1: probably what he learned at the Q one of the they things would that would happen that. at the Cubert school. Yeah. We, 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 we'd have to kind of like Mad Men, right? Like you got to professionally present your art, like at the end of the uh, assignment and cleanliness counts like you you get docked if you don't pres- because but go watch Mad Men. like that's how it works like the client wants to see something fresh and the tracing paper part was totally a part of the gig man like they just sit down just fucking go all over your stuff dude to make you feel stupid but it's so valuable because you don't know what you don't know and yeah. then at least by the end of that first year you finally now know what you don't know so start working on some things
0: yeah, it's it's a way to learn quick having those lines put on top of yours and to, and to really see, like, oh, okay. Once you see it that way, you remember it. One of the things I remember early on with Steve Lieber is he did, like, a lettering tutorial online and how the O's are slightly bigger yeah. than, than, like, your other letters. And once you um, see it, you, you'd never unsee it. But, but yeah, definitely a uh, good guy, good artist. And I don't think uh, we're giving anything away, but at one point, Tom and Steve lived on the same street, I believe, yeah. in Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, Tom Scioli and Steve Lieber. Joe Kubert, 69 at the time of this article uh, when it was written, looking good there with that giant massive drawing table that he would work on. I feel like uh, everybody that's gone through that school has told stories about watching him draw on that table.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, w- I went the the back office, man, like the way that it worked when I was there, it, there was a real kind of like bait and switch where you don't get, to, if he's 69 here, five years later, man, like he's in his fucking seventies when I go there. So he he's not teaching year 1 students man you got to pay 30 grand to get to a place where you could spend another 16 grand to get his instruction and i was kind of just like a squeaky wheel and put all my money into this and I i'm can't, like I can't picture you like that ed <laughs> i was just like fuck this man after school i'm going in there as much as possible as much as they let me because i'm taking advantage of his kindness in this way because I want real instruction like I'm having teachers who Draw coloring books as their profession. They could kiss my ass I don't the things I need to learn from them are things what not to do. Let me sit down with Joe and Learn some real shit, man. I actually got that because like some of um the, My foreign brethren man this dude uh, from Paraguay who came even fr- you know He came super far and he was like fuck this and when I heard that he was going in there I'm like fuck it. I'm going in too like, I went, I, like, my my whole life is dependent on this shit. I'm going in there. And we would just have our own private stuff after school. And he was super happy to 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 do it, man. I think you could see, man, I think that's facts from Sarajevo pages. Probably. They talk about that in
0: this article. Um, Qbert, for anybody unfamiliar with this story, starts making comics at age 12, working for Will Eisner. Like, <laughs> definition of lifer here.
1: I think that's a Shop Talk interview from the uh, Will, Will Eisner book. And we'll, we'll unpack that interview, man, because I think it was you like you said it was for eisner man like pulling in a little 12 year old off the street man and do some lettering
0: there's some really cool stuff in in this article like uh they talk about bringing in visiting artists and how joe goes to those lectures or uh workshops and and participates because he's still working on his game he talks about drawing every day yeah like, they, they really would... good uh principles you know and it, it's probably carefully put in there by him, make sure this stuff's in there. But damn, it's the right habits, right? Like it's it's the stuff you wanna see a guy, a 50
1: year vet, 55 year veteran of comics at this point, talking about working on his craft. You could see the, um the Cubert school videos for the correspondence courses are online. And you see the guy, He like he's, he, he practices drawing and, and what the extracurricular stuff they're talking about is just these like life drawing classes that you can opt to take in the school, like on the weekends. And he comes in there and his work is doing the same thing but but like it's very specific and he did would it's not kayfabe like he would do that shit and just like constantly work on that stuff and he would basically tell you like now's not the time like now's not the time to like be talking comics with me like i'm here like you like i'm just drawing man so like give me some space let me work on my shit too like it's it's that kobe bryant principle dude that, that we talk about man it's it's your thousand jump shots uh before before practice begins this is where I stayed, man. 30 people. This was the original Squid Games, Jimmy. Because <laughs> there's 30 motherfuckers <laughs> in here, man. And uh, they're just going to be dropping like flies. By the time Christmas comes, there's going to be a lot more room to breathe in that house, dude.
0: Yeah, I believe that. And this is your massive uh, school facility, I guess, where you're talking about some of the rooms being, you know, roped off or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Makes yeah.
1: sense. Look at the size of that school. How many classrooms could you possibly need out of a building that big? So there would be. Uh, a daycare here you enter there first year rooms are here so like this would this one would be homeroom 1C which was mine that's 1D 1B 1A uh directly above your head none of this is being used man so these are like where the lakes are of of uh, stuff man main hallway and then the second year kids are here uh and then uh up top second year animation and third year animation and third year comic kids, which is only like maybe one or two classrooms because it just gets whittled down more and more. And Mike Chen, this dude, one away from, from Jesus of, of, of Qbert school, you know, and he knew, he knew it and he was super cool, man. He was very, uh, like he would have to be a substitute teacher sometimes whenever the blizzard would happen and teacher couldn't make it in. And he had such a reputation being such a hard ass and stuff. And the first year students, man, they get like the least respect in the whole class. So this one time I remember he was coming down the hallway and he just put his hands up like that and walked through (laughs) the middle of everybody. And like all the first year kids are like walking, like moving to the side. It was it was a good move. This is some good kayfabe shit, too, man, because it's like, oh, man, and when I go to the school, dudes like John Ostrander going to be coming to our school to like drop some science. And, you know, I'm a Grim Jack fan. You know, so I'm like, man, I want to know what John Ostrander is going to come tell tell us, man. We had dudes like Lewis Smalls Jr. Who like to two comics and <laughs> and fucking it still goes to conventions on those two comics he drew. And uh, I wish they goofballs. I wish they had like all the names of all these. Wonder if any of these guys go on to be pros. They mentioned names throughout this thing and I was Googling them. And it's very appropriate to my experience where uh, they're nobodies, you know, like they become suburban dads or whatever live in a fanboy dream from an ad that they saw in comic books. But when I was out there, like so many people just couldn't hack the tenacity required and the people who did like, like me, Jared Fletcher from, from, uh, you know, sort of famous letter designer, multi Eisner winner. Um, dude, you become familiar with Carson Gruba. He was, he was in my year, but he, but he, he dipped before Christmas wisely. Um, maybe one or two other people, uh, Mike Henderson, who draws a comic called Nailbiter. he was in, in my year, but had to, well, he was in my year. Um, none of us were were superstars, man. Like, none of us were the expected ones to get to continue, and, like, I, I sort of put the school to the test. Like, when, I would have gone to the second year if they would have let me be an RA, but uh, but the lady said... Said uh, they'll think about it, and, and it didn't happen. And all the people who were RAs were the superstars, so it let me know that they didn't think that I was anything. But none of us, uh, the names that I mentioned, were the superstars of our year, and were the people who actually made it. You know what I mean? It's almost like if you're like like knowing your IQ, like you're not supposed to know your IQ when you're young because maybe you fall off or you get complacent or something. There was a lot of that. There where like the most talented people they just didn't make it for one reason or another. I I say it all the time, like this
0: idea of natural talent, and by the way, good good placement with Ostrander, being in the ad adjacent to the article with him. That's Yeah. Um, The the people that talk about like the super talent, you know, the, 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 the artists that are just successful based on their talents, show them to me. Show me that guy, like it doesn't work in comics. You have to have that work ethic part. There are people who can certainly draw better than others, but none of them make it successfully if they don't have that work component. Like that is number one, two, and three for most important piece because there's just not a shortcut in making comics, especially in a career of it. Yeah. Claymation Lab, that's pretty fun. You know what is standing out to me on this flip through is how many like every other ad is. There might be more card ads than comic ads. And you
1: got to keep in mind, man. This this is Fleer, so that that's Marvel, right? Yeah, yeah. One of their other moves. that was like the beginning uh, descent. <laughs> Some fun stuff about the
0: Kubert brothers and how uh, was it Andy that that wasn't interested in comics and came to the came to the school
1: to maybe work in administration and then falls in love with the comics part. Everybody likes Adam Best, man, and and like he he went to. Uh, School at like Rhode Island or something, man, to become a medical illustrator, and everybody it's like unanimous like adams like drawing and anatomy is so much better than Andy's and stuff and uh it makes sense like like Andy was just kind of like a fairweather artist when he was a kid and just kind of got into it and and i I do think comics does work that way like if you start to start to get that wrist action going and stuff like it could it could pull you in. I think this looks so cool, man. You know, like I would love to see a mask comic that consistently, like, has has this kind of.
0: I like some uh, of the mask comics out there, and there's there's one with a cover where it's like a big close up of his face. I think D- Doug Mong probably on the art that looks really cool and kind of similar to this one.
1: The More Supreme shout out, man! Like, like uh, he's got got his kind of humble beginnings, man. Do a Zen intergalactic the, ninja. The good comics. Zen comic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a couple issues of those.
1: Manga scene.
0: Is this the first manga article?
1: Uh this is the first manga article and what came packaged with this issue if I remember correctly man was a little digest size of the first color section of issue 1 of The Ghost in the Shell manga with with like weird computer graphics and and practical color and just a, an amazing little 8-page piece man. Uh but, yeah, I I mean, like, take a look, dude. Domu. This is strong. Mother Sarah. Oh, my goddess. <clears throat> and this reminds me of, like, my mind, uh, the way it was wrapping around manga at the time, was, like, I won't be fucking with any of this, like, super big-eye stuff. One exception I will make, Ghost in the show because of all this other cool shit is so so gnarly. But uh when we did the Frank Whiteley interview, he was talking about like what what are these comics like? They draw all this these backgrounds and all this stuff so good, but they have these like cartoon masks, like what is that? Uh that mask thing gets pushed much further with these kind of manga and it's much more subdued in Otomo comics. But dude, I put Domu on the list, like those Domu comics I got came from from uh, you know, the strength of this article and it was Probably the best comic I read for for years and years and years after after that thing came out. Man. Yeah, that
0: would blow my mind, especially at that time period, because I had never seen anything even resembling that at that time period. Leah Hernandez writing this, and I think this becomes an ongoing column. If, yeah. If uh, I, I've dropped off on my past Wizard reads, so right. like I can't tell you what's in issue forty-five, but I think manga, this manga column becomes a thing. Interview with Shiro, pretty strong to uh, to launch this or just to maintain it as being like the manga presence. That's pretty great. Um, pick of the month, Ghost in the Shell, it's impressive. This whole, you know, you get, you get just a page and a half or two pages here and, uh, yeah, hop in, get, get, you know, try some new comics. You know, like if you're thinking of, uh, Palmer's Picks as being the place to find some interesting new comics, now you've got a second article that's doing that.
1: Jimmy, <laughs> I shot my I shot my load in the first thirty minutes. <laughs> we could breeze through uh, the rest of this issue, I think. That. This is Bart Sears, Wizard's own Bart Sears
0: here making his uh, his big name launch. I actually like these Bloodshot uh, Norm Braffogal issues. This is after Prime and in, in uh, Malibu's Ultraverse, and you see him bringing the veins with the uh, Bloodshot versus Bloodshot. This was. Uh, <clears throat> Is it a claim? The video game company that buys Valiant yeah. before this, and then like sort of a, a relaunch
1: of, of sorts to try to push you know push Valiant back. I don't know near the top or at least uh... trying to generate those licensable properties that we were talking yes. about earlier. And and they had some success. They took Shadow Man, made a video game that was reasonably popular. They took Turok and the N sixty four game for that. Fucking huge man. Uh, but it is still the same acclaim that uh, did like some of the grossest uh, viral marketing ads like ever created in history where they wanted people to like get on their like dead relatives tombstones, shadow man ads and they would pay like big money if wow. people would participate in that and, sh- and shit like this, man. So it it's that company. These, that's that's <laughs> running this show here.
0: These are books that they're canceling because they're doubling down on like bi-weekly and they bring in all this talent like Dan Jurgens is coming to Solar, you know, killed Superman and now he's going to revive Solar. Uh, these are the books canceled. Armorines, Geomancer, Hardcore, Psy Lords, Second Life of Dr. Mirage, Secret Weapons. These are terrible. I mean, just the titles alone. Who's reading those? Yeah. Yeah, Valiant was a, uh, I think Valiant's one of those companies that we remember much differently than it was. Like, we've gone back and looked at some of those books, and I don't think even the good ones are too good.
1: So, uh, this this, uh, Valiant article bookended (laughs) by two Valiant ads. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even hide the payola gimmick. Oh, man.
0: Um, I was kind of into Bart Sears. I would buy these Bart Sears comics whenever he would do something like that, but... Exo War looks like the hardest thing to draw that was ever. In- like it seems totally. like comic book torture for whoever has to draw that, that character. Look at that that like liquid armor. No thank you. Yeah. Lady Death, upcoming here. Lady Death, uh, I'll say it now because I might forget, in the top 300 of the month, Lady Death is like number 11, her next miniseries launch, and I have no idea. They might have 100 variant covers, I don't know, but to, to go that high, like, that shocked me.
1: Yeah. The, like, the guys at Chaos, they, like, they sort of know what the heck they're doing in a way, man, uh, Polito, because, like, when you go in the back issue bins and the 25-cent bins, whenever whenever that's going down, you'll you'll pull out. All of these like Lady Death ones and then you got to look on the back mm-hmm. and then you got to look like real yes. small and it'll be the name of like whatever the mini series is and then uh, at this point it's just like now nah, I'm putting them all down like I'll see if there's some Steve Hughes and if not man like that's, i just That's can't my even guide, fuck guide with for it.
0: chaos as well. Drawing board. We always talk about drawing board being fun. Win a Greg Capullo spawn drawing is uh, the top prize this month. Yeah. That's a pretty pretty nice piece. It, it looks like a cover. Yeah very strong. All these look good. I don't know uh, if you caught any names of any uh, future pros or not, but uh, I think all the all the art looks pretty strong.
1: All humbling, man. Like like as a kid looking through this stuff, it's like it's amazing, you know.
0: Yeah, that that is sharp.
1: That works perfectly, Sean Mac- McNellis. And like this, like it's like it's like when this gets sent to Wizard, like is it on a piece of typing paper just curled up <laughs> with all the media, or is it like professionally done or something? Like because I mean that looks incredible especially in that thumbnail format like yeah. like where it's reduced down a bunch
0: yeah it looks good i i mean lots of these do it's it's uh, it's interesting too plus you see the materials where you can tell it's like markers on some of them and color yeah. pencils and stuff still makes it look really good uh, the Hollywood stuff. I don't have a whole lot here except to note that Gen 13 animated feature is what they're talking about, which did make it out on the video.
1: Yeah, this is like, just to let you know that Hollywood is culture vultures, so there's nothing behind the Jim Lee comics. There's not much behind the Rob Liefeld stuff. <laughs>
0: Name dropping is what's here. Yeah, he
1: had a meeting with Tom Cruise, which uh, the, the Tom Cruise
0: people say nothing like... Uh, he's not doing a movie here right <laughs> but likefeld uh, you know finds a way to send out a press release you, for you, that same with Spielberg on dooms four
1: you do you do a, a popular comic he gets you in the door uh to Hollywood yeah Faust yeah man uh, corman doing
0: some kind of uh, superhero esque movie uh crow sequel in in the works. It is funny. It's just thirsty for some... Make a, make a movie out of our comic. Please, Hollywood, please validate my comic nerddom. Yeah. I, I don't understand it at all. To me, it's a totally different thing. It's, it's so weird to be excited by that. Like, tell me who's drawing the, the book I want. Like, I don't care about Roger Corman making a movie. Right. Oh, uh, man. This article surprised me. So Chuck Dixon's a writer I read a lot of. I read Punisher as a kid, and yeah. he wrote lots of those Punisher comics. And you start reading, like, what he's written... And it's berserk yeah. the amount of stuff that he writes, which is kind of what this article is about. He's 40, and he's been writing for comics for 10 years. So kind of a late start. He talks about how he gets into the industry. Every few years, he would make an effort, make a push. And uh, that's what happens. You know, you get in hungry, and then you take every job that's offered your way. And, like, he's writing a dozen books some months. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. He
1: describes it as running, man. And, and the conceit of the article is that he's going to... He's going to walk for a year, man, and only do three or four uh, books instead of like eight or nine or whatever. Yeah, it talks about discipline and, uh, you know, you have your kid and uh, that'll force you to sit down at the typewriter. You've seen it, man. Like I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, cartoonists, man, that had like potential to take over the game. They knock up their old lady, man, and now they're going to be start writing, doing uh, DC comics and <laughs> shit like that. Like they're done. They're done doing their their own unique uh, fly shit, dude. Uh, Dixon, like, like political stuff comes up, man, and how like you know politics is banned from from the from the editorial meetings and, and yada yada. This was a time when people of diverse political views and ideologies could actually work together, man. Like his editor on Batman is Danny O'Neill, like super bleeding heart, <laughs> the guy who did the fucking Green Lantern and Green Arrow comics with Neil Adams with all that hippie energy, and and uh, Chuck Dixon is coming from a place that's that's m- more to the right, and uh, a guy like him or Mike Barron, Punisher is the greatest vehicle for like a person with those points of view because it's an Old Testament character, you know? He's going to cut your fucking hand off if you shoplift, man, and a guy with that kind of spirit should be the person writing those kinds of comics, man.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's on this spread, but he describes Punisher and basically says he's a criminal hunting criminals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> which is a pretty good
0: description for it. Also talks about how much he uh, just falls right into writing Punisher with some of these characters. Takes him a while to uh, get to that point of figuring out what the connection is or, or understanding the character. There's some cool stories throughout this. Um, the other editor that he clashes with is at Eclipse whenever he's doing Airboy, and it's Cat Ironwood who is like famously left, you yeah. know, leftist. And, uh, and so there's some interesting talk about that because he wrote 40 or 50 issues of that, uh, you know, with her until it just, you know, I think they got to the point they couldn't coexist. But 50 issues in is a pretty good run for somebody that, you know, ultimately you decide you can't work with.
1: Well, it, I mean, yeah, sure. but like, It might have
0: gone under at that point. I'm not even sure of the timeline. No,
1: nah, because it was a bi-weekly comic, so that's one year, really, like, or, or uh, t- you know, two years only. He also wrote, uh, did a stint on, on the Nam, and he talks about how he wasn't a
0: uh, Vietnam veteran, so he was reluctant at first, and he would just interview like Vietnam veterans and stuff to try to you know keep that book grounded.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. It, it was always uh, that Doug Murray dude, and the whole design of of the comic was like every month is one month of life in Nam, like so it, it needs to be you know ninety nine issues. And some of the issues that he wrote were the ones that had Frank Castle fucking Punisher in there, which was an embarrassment to him. And he said that it was the wrong move. Like we shouldn't have done it that that way, but like they needed to boost circulation. If we were gonna get to issue 99, we had to actually get people to read the thing. And I think those were the uh, Zafino issues. Oh, just covers. Yeah, he
0: didn't do the interiors,
1: but he does work
0: with Zafino on uh, Winter World. Yeah. And he mentions that they wrote a sequel, Winter Sea, which was just published like in the last decade. Uh, by IDW. so yeah, Zafino, a, a great artist. but when you write as much as he does, like he works with tons of different artists, talks about Larry Strowman and uh, how good he is on Alien Legion. So uh, kind of a fun interview. I actually enjoyed going through this. you know, it's a time capsule, but this is a guy who's doing so much work and working for half a dozen different publishers like you really get a, an interesting perspective on the comics
1: industry at this time. Here's the other thing too, man, like with with like his perspective. Like he, he was also writing Green Green Arrow, who's a character completely divorced from his own views, but like you just you do the job. You get the job, you do the job,
0: man. Yeah, it's interesting, uh him talking about that experience too, because it's like that's a character he doesn't like uh Oliver Queen, you yeah. know. But it doesn't mean you can't make that an interesting right story, you know, with these characters. So kinda cool to have that dynamic in there too. Uh Windjammer is one of the valiant imprints now. They've got a couple of imprints that they're coming up with, and that's one of them. And I believe that this Valeria is just a uh, a reprint from the continuity Valeria. Valeria, so I don't know how yeah. you say that.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, like, no, <laughs> no Adams couldn't true. tell you.
0: <laughs> uh, this was an article I had some trouble with. This is Peter David t- taking on uh, Aquaman, and talk about like I don't know who this artist is, but I have no interest in reading this. Uh, uh-uh.
1: no, no. Like if you go back, like the the hand and the in the gimmick, like like I do like this. I do. It's I a, do.
0: piranhas that ate off his hand. I didn't know that until I read this article <laughs> <Yeah>. this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I actually kind of like this too, um, but. Yeah, it's, you know, it's Peter David and it's just bloviating. It's not a hook and I get really offended when people say that it's a hook and I do everything I can to not have Captain Hook jokes. It's a harpoon and harpoons are cool and he's just so dorky. Uh, I'll be honest, like like Chuck Dixon's dorky in his thing in a, in a lot of ways too. Like, it's not the stuff that we're interested in talking about, man, uh, When when it comes to comics, like formal aspects and... Uh, they're not talking about, like, the different things they're teaching themselves or, like, learning as they make the comics. Uh, Chuck Dixon and Peter David are talking boatloads of fanboyishness that would, would, uh, you know, you'd end up in a divorce and I definitely would, uh, be the next Henry Darger, never be able to leave the house, man, if we talk the way that these cats were talking about their comics.
0: It's a really interesting split. And I go back to like Miller and Byrne as being the two guys that go in these directions. You know, Miller sort of embraces that formal, you know, let's play with some of these formal elements with Dark Knight. Byrne embraces the fanboy part of like Superman's the best character. Let's, let's restore that character to his greatness. And I think you can see those two veins like you know, diverging as comics have moved forward from that from that '80s point, and you're, and you're right; these guys are sort of on that side of uh, the fanboy presentation. And Wizard is sort of straddling that line as to how how do we cover this stuff? And you'll see it in the same articles, like file under X. Big standout here is Charles Adlard is is your artist for, I don't know, 40 issues or so of X-Files. This ends up being a pretty big run. I bought all this for a friend of mine. Uh, Their kid got into X-Files, and I remember buying, like, the stack of them. And, like, the one moment I had some cool uh, comics cachet for the non-comics fans in my life. Um, But Adlard, of course, Walking Dead. Like, talk about two pretty major runs. I can remember X-Files, you know, at, at its peak was so popular. Like, being, you know, cover of Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that. Chris Carter, the creator of Big Deal, supposedly p- approves the uh, X-Files each story that they do. Um, kind of an interesting interesting article here because who knows how this turns out, right? It could be four issues and stink. It ends up running like several years and, it, and being uh, being pretty good. And I think, give Adlard a lot of credit because he's the consistent piece. Like you look at it and it's, it's the comics themselves are well done, which yeah. is
1: often not the case with the licensed books. As, a, as just an image, man, this composition is really beautiful to me. It's, it's pretty neat. This is
0: also relatively early on in X-Files history. You know, like like they got on board, I think, like maybe the first, first season or so, uh, you know, recognizing this is something that we wanted to do. Topps, the publisher of this. Petruca, the uh, writer, not familiar with that name.
1: This is one of those things I was telling you, like where it's just like, you know, this is iconic. This is iconic and I can't say that lightly, but this image is iconic to me. And it's for, you know, these goofball nonsense comics. This line has a few like like it has the worst title, you know, The Divine
0: Madness. Look at the lettering on this. Some of the worst lettering. There's there's it's done a on all these w-
1: Windows computer. Man. One of their other books I think is the thespian right yeah yeah, it is yeah yeah, because I remember seeing this real small like in a in a on on a thespian ad I've
0: never found any of these in a quarter bin and and I am curious just because they advertised in wizard for a while in these big full-page full-color ads which seems like
1: thousands of dollars yes
0: exactly somebody lost a lot of money on divine madness (laughs) Malibu toys to debut at Toy Fair right after Marvel buys them and because of their contracts with creators Really doesn't publish these characters because I think the royalty structure is something Marvel's not on board for. So just in time to bury this toy line. Yep. (laughs) Custom toys, cool Savage Dragon, gotta dig that. Sam and Max,
1: we did a video on these characters, kind of neat to see them pop up. It's funny because I think they did make Savage Dragon toys, not 100% sure. They did. But this is way cooler than the one (laughs) that they made. Uh, Jim Lee toys, not Todd McFarlane toys. Although I think Todd might have uh, eventually made one.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, already looked at that centerfold two-page spread for reboot the uh, the three D animated series. It's a Michael Golden Spawn. Yeah, these
1: were trading cards that were um like like overly. They, they didn't fit in any of your trading card supplies. Right, but then that became a format of trading card. <laughs> there would be trading cards that size, then and, and then you would have to get the boutique plastics. There's an American Heart Association
0: ad in here. This is really funny. Do you think this is a wizard going to the American Heart Association being like, we got a lot of old overweight dudes <laughs> collecting comics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Palmer's picks, Rob Shrab's Scud. Did you ever read Scud? I did when, when I was at school and you know what, man, like I wasn't into it. And like, because the storytelling doesn't work. Let me, let me, let me
0: read you a little piece in here that sums that up really well. He talks about, uh, he does a bunch of panels to make the comic read fast because one big like two-page spread of one image a guy punching somebody that doesn't read fast lots of panels on a page I don't know about I that like Rob Shab- Shrab's uh, storytelling but I don't think that's quite the right uh, the right way you get speed on a comic book page I came became a fan of his whenever he started making video and uh, TV and movies and stuff, and did Heat Vision and Jack, and that was the thing that
1: was like, that's it, I am all in. the 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 very first time uh, we hung out, man, you proffered a, a VHS <laughs> tape. Let me borrow, man. I have Project Grizzly, had that Steve Martin comedy special with the arrow through the head, and nestled in between both of those was Heat Vision and Jack, man. That's a great tape. Jack, that's a great Jack Black. <laughs> Talking to Owen Wilson, the motorcycle—four solid hours of entertainment right there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like my my uh, my uh, roommate in art school, he he had all the scuds, man, and uh, like like uh, as a comic book, at least the ones that I read, man, they just this looks so cool. That's just I want to like it. I think it
0: looks awesome. It sounds really good. He's an assassin, and the guy he's supposed to kill, he maims. And then he uh, and he doesn't self destruct. The deal is these assassin robots they they kill their target and self destruct because his target's not dead. He's still alive, and now he's uh, taking hits on people in order to pay life support for the guy that, that he did, that he mangled the first hit. There's gonna be. It sounds good. It looks good. Um, I have several back issues, but I don't I don't really connect to the comics as much as I would like to. Um, but it does look very cool, and he does like twenty plus issues of it, which is awesome. And,
1: and other specials, dr- the drywall special. Uh, Scud eventually gets a human big muscle arm. Yes, attraction. I like that. I like that. I did a commission of that once.
0: And it was very fun. That's, that's fun. Man. <laughs> um, he mentioned Dan Harmon is mentioned here, who goes on to have quite a career in Hollywood. Uh, creator of Community is probably one of his bigger credits. But they were part of an improv group back in I don't know Minneapolis or or somewhere. In the Midwest there. It makes
1: sense. This is such a Midwest kind of sensibility, like... A disposable assassin who gets a human arm, like it's it's you know, cheese ball middle America kind of You top. see
0: like the uh, the influences, John Wu, Sam Raimi, Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah, that's that's perfect. So kind of a neat a neat pull out here and uh, pick of the month, Zero Zero, phantographics anthology that's that's starting up and a lot of good art would come come through there. So pretty fun. Um like we said, you know, Palmer's picks. I mean I got to be done with this
1: issue now. Yeah, Ed. It's, it's pretty much <laughs> it, man. You got some reboot ads. Reboot, man, really making a push. They wrote a big check. They wrote a big check to Wizard this month. It just, it never, like, I think it was a syndicated show, so that meant that, like, smaller markets like Pittsburgh just did not find space for it. Yeah. Never saw it. Still getting
0: card coverage. I don't know how long that sticks. Feels like that had let up at some point, but, uh... Top 10 heroes and villains. None of this matters, man. Go to, flip the page, go to the good and cheap. (laughs) I always like that it's Mort of the month. Yeah.
1: Judge, Judge Dredd, Dredd one. number one,
0: Brian Boland art coming here. Uh, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool series. Pretty cool everything, you know. Like the start of Judge Dredd in America in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and uh, these comics were being bundled in multi packs at Kmart at the time. Uh, so for like you know five dollars, get a pack of ten comics, man. And there would be these Eagle comics, and not just Judge Dredd. There'd be Strontium Dogs, Robo Hunter, Slain issues. Mm-hmm. And I fucking would just I couldn't get enough of those things dude couldn't get enough of them these eagle comics aren't too bad but then they switch to like qu- Fleetway quality yeah
0: and boy does the production <laughs> suffer
1: That's the stuff that uh, that Billboy show always talks about like where the the public the publisher name points <laughs> out the deficiencies of their comics and quality comics were shoddy at best yes at best I think they they would like just
0: like horizontally shrink them to go from magazine size to like
1: comic book size and, and and you would notice it most with the uh lettering because yes the people would have skewed heads but so does Prince Charles so I just thought British people had that <laughs> shaped head <laughs> but uh, the lettering like I just automatically in my mind because I didn't know those details I'm like the uh the British lettering style very weird very very Narrow and I felt the same way. Yeah,
0: talk about nerds. <laughs> uh, Picks of the month is terrible. We we said Gen thirteen kind of cool again, not mentioning the thirteen cover variants. Earthquake doesn't even get like a single book call out. It's just Earthquake. I think it's misspelled too. I think usually it's two words or With hyphenate a dash, or something. Yeah. Uh, Death of Clark Kent, please. Ripclaw <laughs> one, like these are bad selections. Yeah,
1: super awful, man.
0: It it really paints a picture. Like you, I, I went through the, like the more pick stuff. And you start looking at like what's being published and what the stories are in some of these books, and th- it's
1: just the worst. And 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 you got to give props to like a Mike Allred, like these little oases in the midst of nonsense. He stuck with it. Like he's a handsome dude. He could go back to being a news broadcaster or something like that. But he loves the medium. He stays in the medium. Uh, Tim Truman, yeah, Joe, there's some Taylor stuff. Taylor Lansdale, Steve
0: Rude, you know, doing his Nexus book, but by and large these things are rough and you know this is Age of Apocalypse yeah it's it's do you realize we're on page 133 almost done with this video and haven't mentioned Age of Apocalypse like what's going on Marvel write the check to wizard you're buying uh, heroes world and flare and all this bullshit like
1: you don't think it's important to promote your big books I think this this Joe Mads influence on comics is like rearing its head already man cuz like iceman just never looked that no. way before joe mad got into the the game <laughs> yeah. with his uh, warblade hands
0: Go or rip claw take your pick little wolverine influence there top 10 comics uh, fun gimmick here is Jay Scott Campbell joins in the commentary, so he oh, has some, cool. some uh, not much, but he offers a little bit up, mostly praise, you know, he's not cutting promos on anybody in this, but you see Gen 13, three issues here, including the pit crossover you mentioned oh, earlier, yeah, there Ed. It is.
1: There it is, man. But Wait, the bad girl stuff in full effect, right? I mean... What I love about this is... all bad girls. ...is uh, as, you know, books hit this top ten thing, like you go to the price guide, they're very expensive, and these would be wall books at the Comic Con, you know, these would be forty dollar comics and shit. And it's like, I think I got everything for twenty five cents or less, with the exception. I think that might still be expensive. Like, I haven't found that super cheap. And uh, Lady Death, I, I I don't think that it really did big numbers, in in a way that could make that a twenty five cent book. But every single other comic here, I picked up for a quarter or less, you know, within a, the past decade.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. And there's your Lady Death 2 coming in at number 11 on the top 100. That's amazing to me, man. Tip, tip of the hat to, to pull that off. Um, Spawn, you know, top five book pretty consistently for, geez, I don't know how long it stayed on top, but many years.
1: I mean, it became the, uh, the sort of highest selling um, independent comic. Just just recently again you know of of like the of like the uh twenty first century with spawn three hundred I think
0: you know i 'm criticizing Marvel for not shelling out money and and having their age of apocalypse ads they have like eight of their of the top ten books, seven of the top ten books are x are, are uh, mutant mutant comic
1: yeah all, f- all, so, f- all from that uh, age of apocalypse you thing. know
0: maybe it 's hubris maybe they really didn 't need to pay wizard but uh Whatever the case may be, you know, those books are selling. That that gimmick did work, the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, hot writer, hot artist, Frank Miller coming in at number two in both categories. And uh, number one, McFarlane on art and Gaiman on uh, on writing. Which is funny because, like, they're a team at that point, right? They're doing an Angela miniseries.
1: Right, but, but what's funny is that he's McFarlane is number one. I don't think he's drawn a comic in three years <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Boy, Greg Capullo looks like a different dude. He really does, man. He's, he, he, he hit the creatine. Dude, I watched that uh, Todd McFarlane-Peter David debate. Like You can find the video for that on uh, YouTube. I do recommend it. It is good company. <laughs> is that it? Do you have anything else? I was going to say, we'll just linger on Don Simpsons. <laughs> Dandy Don, man. <laughs> yeah his, his cherubic face here while uh while you recount that debate it, it, I may have like, to check that out. I bet it, the quality's so bad it, it is bad you know it's it's moderated by uh by George Perez and George Perez you know like comic convention it's not like that was his first rodeo so there's like a half hour of George Perez preamble where he's basically yelling at, like telling the fanboys, don't even start chiming in. <laughs> we're we're having fun here like we know I know you guys are passionate but this is the de- debate between these guys so if you chime in like we're gonna have to ask you to leave like it's like it's like contingency plans are, are in place man because he he just knows the kinds of people that showed up in those mid 1990s comic conventions man
0: it was pretty heated too I don't know how good natured the actual debate was I haven't seen that but, I mean, like, there were harsh words exchanged in various publications before that.
1: And Peter, and Peter David never, like, P- Peter David, it, his approach is, like, real wise. Like, it's like real debate club 101 kinds of stuff where you steal the thunder. And at the beginning, he's like, you might get one of three Todd McFarlanes. Like, you might get the one that is the aw shucks. Todd McFarlane, you might get the egotistical. Like, so he's basically calling out like the the different modes that you know McFarlane. Depending on which way the wind is blowing, he'll sort of be that way. Go see that Devil by the Deed, uh, or the Devil Within documentary, where he's like, "I'll just steamroll, I'll run you the fuck over," and like <laughs> talking that kind of shit. Uh, I'm gonna have
0: to watch it now.
1: <laughs> it's pretty good, man, and 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 he makes great arguments, and McFarlane mcfarland's like the populist he's like the george w bush of the gimmick where where he's just like appealed to people on 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 like the base level the guy you want to drink the beer with kind of kind of fella
0: all right confession time i did not read uh ego yeah i didn't realize this i I must
1: have skipped the page it
0: stuck together or something i did not see this article until now did you read this i did
1: and uh there is no so, so uh, you know, uh, how, how does it work when you write an essay, man? Like, it's like you make your opening point, you sell your point, and then you sort of close out your point. Um, there's not exactly a point here. Dream Team's, and he's just calling out some of, like, his favorite collaborations in mainstream comics. And he, at the end, I guess maybe the point is, he makes the argument that there hasn't been an iconic Superman. And there hasn't been an iconic uh, Captain America book. Uh, maybe that's forthcoming or something but there's not like there's not like a rah-rah moment at the end where it's it's more just like you know these are some of my favorite collaborative teams in mainstream comics what are yours?
0: <laughs> I wonder how long he sticks with this column this is like near the end right. he's run out of gas <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't mean to skip that but uh, just that's how it works out sometimes just, just fluff stuff you know interview with the assistant there um, interview with MD Bright or profile with MD Bright Nothing too big stood out here except comics you currently read and concrete. Wow, that's an incredibly short list. So concrete, the only thing this guy's reading, which another, is kind of fun. Yeah,
1: another oasis in the middle of like the, the, the comics glut, man. Uh, that, that really is... This was the period of time, the only monthly book I'm really fucking with, if they even got to that number yet, was like Preacher. Uh, I'm now saving up my loot, biting the bullet, and paying $4 for an eight ball comic, uh, in the back issue bins and, uh, padding out my love and rockets collection. Like, like I've left mainstream comics, even though I'm still fucking with wizard magazine, there's very little that's coming out from the big two that I can even deal with. I'm not even really messing with image books. Yeah. And I'm just developing my education on Robert Crumb and getting weird old weirdo magazines and stuff. MD bright. He was my dude on, um, GI Joe comics.
0: I was gonna say, uh, pretty interesting career. He's 39 at this point, but this is a guy that did comics for several decades. At this time, he's working on Milestone and starting to write some of his own comics, which is pretty awesome. I like to see that kind of progression. But yeah, he was a guy that that worked for a long time in comics. Might still do occasional comics. Not sure. I'm so far removed from like, uh, you know, the the Marvel DC of today. Yeah. Um, Jim Lee's action figure. Line. So we get a mall ad here and if I am not
1: mistaken this background art is Eric Larson. That is funny You're, t- you're totally right. <laughs> man. Yeah, dude from an, probably from from his like image X. Yeah, that's what I was guessing But still I can ha- see- how weird up. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to compare like I see Vanguard's boots
0: Yeah, I think it's even collaged up a little bit like you can really see the the uh, buildings at the bottom um, these are out of focus. Give you a little depth of field yeah. effect. Good job on
1: the photography on this small figure. Whoever put this ad together, but uh, just just weird speaks to the entrepreneurialness of of like the the image creators because this is not, you know, this is just a he Jim Lee signing and checks with Playmates Toys, the the sort of creators of uh, Ninja Turtles figures and shit like that, man. So like he's not really putting loot in like McFarland is with yeah, his own with company. his own brand. Yeah, he's just. He's just signing checks, man. George Foreman grill guy. And he did a, uh,
0: a a turtles revamp as part, like part of this whole line. If you remember that, yeah, playmates, you know, and uh, and a claim ad. Go figure. <laughs> All right, Wizard Magazine forty four. Quite a uh, quite quite quite
1: a publication there, the, Ed. The project quite a snapshot <laughs> of a time period. The project of cartoonist cafe began with Wizard magazines and the kind of connective tissue that the sort of Story we were telling was about the speculation boom and bust and uh, with Marvel buying the Heroes World uh, Comics Distributor, we are settling deep in that uh, mid-90s comic book bust and it's illustrated very well uh in, in this in this magazine. It's interesting to consider where we're at in that bust, because I think we're only about halfway
0: there. Oh yeah. You know, like you talk about bottoming out, there's a long way to go before we hit the bottom of what this thing turns into. I
1: think I think the thing that pulls it out is like the ultimates, like yeah. when Quesada like when, when gets over there, starts to shake things up a little bit, gets Kevin Smith to write that Daredevil book, Marvel Knights, and then like Ultimates, like that that kind of pulled them out of just complete it did glitch.
0: I think the other factors were the books bookstore yeah trade coming up Uh you know I don't know how those things like came together behind the scenes but I think it gave avenues of like how you sell your back catalog how you potentially could reach some new people and of course leading into the whole film stuff which would then be like oh yeah here are the books in the bookstore so that graphic novel thing was a big chunk of coming out quesada the other piece at Marvel like you said um, but man, we've got a long way to go before they hit bottom, and that's that's the part. Like right now, it's still mostly optimistic. You know, you read this, and there aren't these stories of just horror right. happening. Um, but it, it gets to a point where you can't ignore it. One of the the fun, well, fun's probably the wrong word. One of the interesting pieces that document that is the Max letter column. Sam Keith, you know, they published Max for several years into that glut. And uh he was very honest and transparent in the letters columns, and you'd see a lot of other books dropping off because like the sales were so far removed from whenever those books were launched, and it would just be month after month bleeding sales. like at some point you know you almost had to stop um so we'll we'll get further down that road as we continue, um not there yet, but
1: all the signs are here absolutely man uh K favors like follow subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell we'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can download
0: out-of-print zines and mini comics you can see a lot of my original art how i make the comics i make like plain janes
1: street angel Octobriana, and much more at patreon.com slash jimrug red room trade paperback hitting the stands uh november 9th man get it at your local comic shop if you pre-ordered from fantographics you should be able to get it uh, in time for christmas and if not man get that comic off off of uh, amazon if you don't have a good shop in the house man, uh, the link to the comic uh, for purchase online is in my link tree in the description below this video, as well as my Patreon, where you could read updated Red Room comics uh, as I draw them. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Café e newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kfabe t shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Given those orders, Jimmy, we're going to be on our way. Read more comics.